Good morning. You guys doing well? Good to have you with us. Welcome to Desert Breeze Community Church. If you have your Bibles, you can turn to Luke chapter 12. Luke chapter 12 is where we will be today. We're looking at verses 13 through 34. I'm going to switch that over for me, if you would, please, right here on that uh, clock. Thank you very much. Faith and Finances is our current teaching series. We've titled this weekend's message, Money Foolishness. I kicked off last weekend's uh, teaching series by saying this. See if you can track with me. You can tell a lot about a person, about what they value. You can tell by a person's, you, can, you know what a person really values by how they spend or what they spend their time and money on effortlessly beyond their necessities. Would you agree with that? Probably don't want to though, do you, when you think about it? Because when you, you have to look at your own life and say, wow. So if you look at your checkbook and your calendar, it'll tell you a lot about your values. I had a few folks come up to me after the message last week and say, wow, that kind of stung a little bit. You kind of nailed me with the statement that the things that we value, we prioritize. The things we prioritize, we practice. Because oftentimes people will say, well, yeah, I really value church and I value Bible study and prayer and all these other things. And yet if you were to look at their calendar, their time, or even their finances, it would show very little evidence of that. Yeah, but I, I really value. Well, actually, the things that you value, you prioritize. The things you prioritize, you practice. It will be seen in your lifestyle and how you live that out. We can say that we value something, but the, the truth is known only through what we practice. And, uh, and so that's, that shows that, gives us evidence of that, and that's why we've been looking at this uh, teaching series. And uh, as we said last week, we made a distinction between the values of this world and God's values. Values of this world are wealth, comfort, success, recognition. God's values are humility, perseverance, character, compassion, and generosity. And when you live in the reality of God's, God's amazing, radical compassion and generosity towards you, it so fills up your life that you become a person that is kind of insanely compassionate and generous also. And as I said last week, that if, uh, if unchurched people or, or non-Christians were watching your life up close and personal, they should be able to see that you are really radically compassionate and generous. In fact, if your accountant isn't a Christian, they would look at your finances and say, wow, you are really crazy in how much money you give away and how, much, how generous you are. And of course, your response would be, no, not really. Not if you know who Jesus is and what he's done for us. It's just a natural overflow of our lives. When you've encountered the gospel of Jesus Christ, it makes all the difference in your life. It changes you radically. And so, that's what we, we started looking at last week. And so, four weeks, we are examining three passages in the gospel of Luke and one in the book of Acts, all written by Dr. Luke on how our faith in God impacts our finances. We're saved by faith alone, but saving faith is never alone. So it makes a difference in our lives. We'll talk more about that. Let me start off with a little story here. Before going on a business trip to Europe, a wealthy New Yorker drove his Rolls Royce to a Manhattan bank and requested an immediate loan of $5,000. The surprise loan officer requested collateral, and the man handed over the keys to his Rolls Royce. The officer lent him $5,000 and drove the car into the bank's underground garage for safekeeping. 
Two weeks later, the traveler returned to repay the $5,000 principal and the $15.40 in interest and to reclaim his keys and car. As he was leaving, the officer said he had researched the man while he was gone and discovered him to be a multimillionaire. Why did you need to borrow the $5,000? The traveler answered, I didn't. But where else in Manhattan could I safely park my Rolls Royce for two weeks for $15.40? Apparently this, uh, when it comes to money, this guy has lots of it and a great attitude toward it. And so when we talk about financial management, we're talking about an attitude. And today we're going to look at, does your attitude, is your attitude an attitude of, of foolishness or, or wisdom? We're going to look at that, that contrast And let me give you a little bit of a thesis statement, summary statement of where we're going with our text here this morning is that happiness is not about having the best of everything, but making the best of everything. It's about an attitude. It's about our attitude towards the stuff that we have. There's a major difference between the richness of having and the richness of being. And uh, and the difference is between... uh, Money foolishness versus money wisdom. And so that's where we're headed. Would you bow your heads with me? Let's uh, pray, then we'll dive into our text. God, we are delighted to be here today. We love you because you first loved us. You gave your life for us so that we could have this fullness of life. And God, your word promises us in Philippians 4.19 that you will meet all of our needs according to your glorious riches in Christ Jesus. And so with your provision... As your word teaches us in Ephesians 5, 13 through 17, may we be very careful then in how we live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Therefore, help us not to be foolish, but to understand what your will is in every area of our lives, especially in how our faith impacts our finances. For your glory, we pray these things in Jesus' name. And everyone said... Amen. Let's take a look at this text. This is what I want us to do. Instead of just reading completely through the text, like I typically do without any comments, I'm going to comment as we work through it and kind of read this somewhat devotionally. I can't help but think that there's possibly a few folks here this morning that are kind of stressed out over finances. Kind of the, the way the economy has continued to be over the last few years. Can't find a job. Maybe you can't make ends meet. Any number of things that are happening in your life. This text is for you this morning. It really deals with anxiety and worry. Now, the first part of the text that we're going to read is a little bit convicting, okay? So just kind of buckle your seatbelts, a little convicting, then it's going to move into some really sweet compassion and comfort from our, our Savior, our God, and, and then it ends with some, uh, some things that we're going to look at that, that are really compelling, which should motivate us with our finances. So that's kind of where we're headed with this text. So let me begin reading chapter 12, verse 13. And I'll just kind of comment devotionally as we work through it. Someone in the crowd said to him, we're speaking of Jesus, so said to him, teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Stop there just for a minute. I, I want to talk about that. Now, now, if you had an audience with the, uh, the God of the galaxies, well, what would be the first thing that would be on your mind? I mean, here's a guy, the first thing on his mind is, hey, Jesus, uh, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. So he's preoccupied with an inheritance. Here's, he's, he's encountering, encountering the God of the galaxies. And, and so when I read that, I started thinking I was a little bit convicted because, you know, oftentimes when I pray, when you pray, 
you know, what comes to mind? I mean, when you pray, is it to get from God or to be with God? Is it primarily to get from Him or to be with Him? If it is, uh, if getting from God is your primary reason, then you're missing, you're missing life's greatest treasure. That's just to be with Him. And we would have God in our lives. Oh, my goodness. And here, what is this guy, the first thing he's saying, Jesus, teacher, you know, make my brother divide the inheritance up. And notice how Jesus responds as we continue through this text. But he said to him, man, who made me a judge or an arbitrator over you? Now, he gives us a warning. This is a verse that I memorized years ago. It's really a great verse. And he says, and he said to them, take care. The word there in the Greek literally means think about this. Come on. You need to be thinking, think, and then the next thing he says, but, and be on your guard. So not only thinking, but guard yourself, guard your heart. Think through the implications, guard your heart. The Bible says in Proverbs 4.23, above all else, guard your heart, for it is the wellspring of life. So Jesus is saying, take care, be on your guard against all covetousness, desiring after the things that you don't have. Covetousness is one of those words that you, there's something out there that you, you think you can't live without. It could be a marriage, it could be having kids, it could be a certain amount of money, it could be a job promotion. And in fact, it's part of the top 10 list. It's interesting when you look at the top 10, 10 commandments, it says you shall have no other gods before me. There's no third option. You're either going to serve God, you're going to serve something else as your God. But then the top 10 ends, number 10 is covetousness. Isn't it interesting? Kind of starts with a little bit of covetousness, ends with covetousness. It's the longing of our heart. Don't make anything in this world, you know, uh, don't pursue anything to try to meet the needs of the longings of your heart is what he's saying here against all covetousness. Now, this is where he, he really helps us to understand why. Why? For one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. Real life and real living cannot be found in stuff. We said it last week, fullness of life has nothing to do with stuff. That's what Jesus is saying. Why are you so preoccupied with stuff? having more, getting more, making more, bigger house, bigger car, whatever. Why are you preoccupied with that? That's not where life is really ultimately found is what he's saying. And we said it last week, people with lots of stuff on the outside are often empty on the inside. And so he says, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. And he told them a parable saying, the land of a rich man produced plentifully now, I want you to note here as we work through this parable, all the personal pronouns. See if you can kind of understand a little bit of what Jesus is trying for us to understand. And he thought to himself, so this man, the land of a rich man produced plentifully, <clears throat> and he thought to himself, what shall I do for I have nowhere to store my crops and he said, I will do this, I will tear down my barns and build bigger ones, and there I will store all my grain and my, you, you get the point there? I mean, it's pretty obvious, isn't it? Who is this all about? It's all about him. Selfaholism, that's what it is. That, that's, by the way, this is the epitome of the American dream. And life is all about me. What can you accomplish? What can you do? You know, chart your course. You know, look at 
have a dream big dreams and go for it. And so it's interesting as you work through this, I mean, this is what this guy is doing. I mean, this would be kind of, uh, this would be your, your Donald Trump, your uh, Warren Buffett, your Bill Gates. This is the guy, that, you know, that we all, that, that everyone wants to kind of achieve that level, that status. We're all going for that in here in America. It seems to be our heart, what drives us. And he continues on. He says, and I will say to myself, so he, let me finish up verse 18, I will store up all my grain and my goods, and I will say to my soul, soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, be merry. Check this out. Now, he forgot to add into that equation uh, God. Oh, and one other thing, death. You're going to die. What about then? And, and, and so listen to what happens. But God said to him, fool. So you're almost, it'd be almost like you're at this guy's funeral. Everybody's getting up and saying, wow, but you should have saw the money he had and he had these big barns and whoa, he accomplished so much and everybody's applauding him and saying he's really a great man and did all these great things, whatever. And yet God said, fool. The word full here means without reason or reflection. And really, if you looked it up, it actually says stupid. You're, you're stupid. That's dumb. I, yeah, you thought about how to make a lot of money and build bigger barns and do all of this, but you forgot to add into the equation God. You, you forgot to ask the most important question why are you here? Why do you breathe? Why does your heart beat? Why do you exist? You thought it was all about you. You thought it was all about money. You thought it was about accomplishment and acquisition and the accolades of, of the people around you. You thought wrong. That's what he's saying. So pretty convicting, as I stated. This night your soul is required of you and the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So is the man, so is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. So, pretty, uh, I mean, it's really to the point, very convicting. Now, now Jesus moves into this next section as, as Luke is writing here, and now he's going to comfort us because he knows where we all live. We tend to do preoccupy ourselves with where, you know, where are we going to live and how much money are we going to spend for that and what are we going to do here and what kind of car are we going to buy? And, and, and Jesus addresses that. He understands us. He knows exactly where we live with all of that. And over and over you're going to see, hey, don't be anxious about those things. In fact, this is what he says. He says, and he said to his disciples, therefore, because of what I just said, therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious. Do not be anxious. The word anxious means to seek to promote one's interest. Isn't that interesting? It also means to be troubled with cares. So to seek to promote one's interest, don't be self-absorbed. Don't be a selfaholic. Life's not about you. By the way, you know what, it, what rids us of that selfaholism, which is so pro prominent and promoted in our culture in America today? What is it that rids us of selfaholism? A fascination with the Savior, <laughs> getting to know Jesus. Oh my goodness, when you are stunned by his beauty and glory, there's a blessed self-forgetfulness that begins to take hold of your life, man. You, you don't make life about you. you. It becomes about his glory and who he is. And you want, you want more of him and to experience more of him in your life. And, 
And so this is where he's headed with this. So he's saying, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat, nor about your body, what you will put on. For life is more than food and the body more than clothing. And then he says this, consider the ravens. And he's going to say this a couple times. Everybody look up here just for a minute. When, when he says consider, this is what he's saying. He's saying, think through the implications of this. Think about what I have to say. Walk through the implications. By the way, you need to know that faith, the foundation of faith is thinking. So when you look at the word faith, faith is truth entering the head, igniting the heart, and outworking through the hands. That's the reason why I said if you have faith in God, it's going to make a difference in how you live out your life and how you live out your finances. So, so what he's saying is, let this truth enter your head to the point that it ignites your heart, that you have a sense of the presence of God in your life to where you know he's going to take care of you. Some of us don't think out the implications. That's part of, so faith, so when we, we sing these songs, when we study God's word, when we pray, in essence, we're considering, as he's saying here, he says, consider the ravens. And uh, consider the ravens, they neither sow nor reap, they have neither uh, storehouse nor barn, and yet God feeds them of how much more value are you than the birds. He's saying, do you have any idea how much God values you? Think out the implications of that. See, if you knew how much God valued you, you wouldn't be all anxious and worried and concerned about all these temporal things. Your focus would be upon the eternal. He continues on, he says, and which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? In other words, you can't add anything. Worry, anxiety is not going to add to your life. If then you are not able to do as small a thing as that, why are you anxious about the rest? And then he says it again, verse 27, consider the lilies, how they grow they neither toil nor spin. That's kind of how we live our lives, toiling and spinning and working and striving. And, and there's just this sense of restlessness in our hearts. He says, we don't need to live like that. He says, yet I tell you that even Solomon in all of his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass, which is alive in the field today and tomorrow is, is thrown into the oven, how much more will he clothe you? Oh, you of little faith. So when we, have, when we have this inordinate anxiety and worry happening in our life, it means that we have just very small faith. Now, how do you get more faith? This is how you get more faith. You just strain and you try harder. Ugh. No, that's crazy. No, you look at the object of your faith. You get to know the object of your faith. Who's the object of your faith? Jesus. And the more you get to know the object of your faith, you spend time with him the more your faith will grow. You can't help but grow. As you get to know him, you realize he is amazingly trustworthy. He gave his life for you. If he took care of your worst problem, he's gonna take care of all your lesser problems. You can rest in his love. He loves you. He thinks the world of you. That's what he's trying to get at here. You don't need to let anxiety and worry harass your life. Now, let me give you another definition for worry here. Worry is believing that God won't get it right. In fact, bitterness is believing that God didn't get it right. And both of those are really kind of based on pride. Pride is that I know better than God how my life should go. 
It's a failure to, to really trust his loving, wise control of our lives, knowing that daddy knows best. And however things might go, it doesn't mean that you ask and, you, and that you, you still request of him, but how he begins to chart your course, you leave it in his hands and trust his loving, wise control of your life. Now let me continue reading, and he says, and do not seek what you are to eat and what you are to drink, nor be worried for all the nations of the world seek after these things, and your Father knows that you need them instead. So don't be so focused on all the temporal. Focus on the eternal instead. Seek His kingdom, and these things will be added to you. So focus on the focus on the fact that who it is that walks through your day with you. Focus on His His perfect love towards you, his infinite wisdom, his, his, uh, his unlimited power that he's guiding and directing and guarding and governing your life. Think about that. Seek to give glory to God. Seek his kingdom. And so what does that mean, his kingdom? One of the verses that I've got here and kind of as a footnote in my Bible is Romans 14, 17. It says, but the kingdom of God is not meat nor drink, but what? You guys know that verse? Righteousness, peace, and joy. So when you seek the kingdom of God, you're going to experience righteousness, peace, and joy, regardless of your circumstances. Now check out this next verse. This verse hit me this last week. This is an awesome verse. These are, this is an amazingly sweet, tender words to us. If you could get a hold of this, better yet, if this verse could get a hold of your life, you can face anything. It's almost like he's, he's trying to get us to think, 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 think through the implications, understand faith, faith, truth, entering the head, igniting the heart. Is your heart igniting? If it hasn't, listen to what I have to say. Here's what he's going to say. Fear not, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Now, let me ask you this question. What's the most frequent command in the Bible? Turn to the person next to you and see if they know what the most frequent command in the Bible is. Real quick, real quick. Anybody know? The most frequent command in the Bible is, actually, it's fear not. It's fear not. Don't be afraid. Anybody get it? Okay. Wow. Okay. So what's the most, the most frequent command in the Bible is fear not. What's the most frequent promise in the Bible? I will be with you. That's awesome. Oh, my goodness. God shows up. Fear not. I will be with you. I love it. I mean, I can face anything. Don't be afraid. Don't get all stressed out. I'm with you. That's what he's trying to, that's the point he's trying to get across. Oh, my goodness. I mean, just let that soak in. Why am I so stressed out, God? You are with me. That's what he's trying to say here. Fear not, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure. Good pleasure. Oh, my goodness. I, I love giving thanks to my kids. I love giving thanks to my grandkids. I just love it. Oh, I find pleasure 
Oh, it is. So I can, I know what he's talking about there. Good pleasure. Oh, it is your daddy's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Here's, here's what I was thinking through the implications of that. And uh, this is what I came up with. This is beyond your wildest dreams come true. I'm rich beyond the dreams of the world's richest billionaire. I have the kingdom of God. I have the wealth of his presence, the comfort of his love, the success of his power. He empowers me with his presence. And, and I have the acclaim of being called his child. That's big. Oh, my goodness. And so, then he continues on. So, so out of that, out of that wealth, then he says this. He says, sell your possessions and give to the needy. I mean, see, when money is no longer your identity, it's just like, ah, oh, just a means to an end. Man, I can, I, I have my hands open. He puts things in. He takes things out. I give them away. That's, that's the idea. Sell your possessions and give to the needy. Provide yourselves with money bags that do not grow old with a treasure in heavens, in the heavens that does not fail where no thief approaches and no moth destroys. He's saying lay up treasures in heaven, not on earth. Don't stockpile stuff here on earth. Lay up treasures in heaven. And, and this next verse you're familiar with, you hear me quote it a lot. I actually quote it more out of Matthew 6, Sermon on the Mount, so this is very similar to that. But let's read this together and aloud. You guys ready? This is where we'll finish up our text this morning. One, two, three. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Everybody look up here. This is what you gotta get. The true God of your heart is what your thoughts effortlessly go to when nothing else is demanding your attention. Where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Heart speaking of our thoughts, our emotions, and our will. So what dominates your thoughts, when nothing is demanding your attention, where do your thoughts go to? What dominates your thoughts? What stirs your deepest emotions? What moves you to action? That's what your treasure is. This is the word of the Lord to us this morning. Powerful stuff. Now, let's look at money foolishness. We'll knock this out. It'll go pretty quick. It'll actually go quicker when I hit uh, money wisdom. But money foolishness, and here's the first one on your notes. Money foolishness is desiring something so much that you lose your contentment in God. That's what covetousness is is that you're desiring something so much that you lose your contentment in God. The opposite of covetousness is contentment in God. Faith, when we talk about faith in Christ, faith is the experience of contentment. It's the experience of soul satisfaction like nothing else. The fight of faith, fight the good fight of faith, The fight of faith is the fight to keep your soul contented in Christ. The fight of faith is the fight to keep your soul satisfied in Him. Number two on your notes, money foolishness is unable to give faithfully, save systematically, and spend strategically. Now, what's interesting in this story, the parable of this wealthy man who, of the rich fool is what it's called, uh, You'll notice there's not even a hint of giving faithfully or spending strategically. He does not add God into the equation, doesn't even think about death, storing up treasures in heaven. He seems a little OCD, very self-absorbed. Would you agree with that? 
Yeah, no doubt about it. And so, if you're going to be wise with your finances, you're going to include, you're going to be able to give faithfully. I gave you the Proverbs there. You're going to spend strategically, and uh, you're going to save uh, systematically. It says in Proverbs 21.5, talking about plans, you need to have a plan. The plans of the diligent leads uh, surely to abundance, but everyone who is hasty comes only to poverty. So do you have a plan financially? And does your plan include death? Does your plan include God? And in your plan, you are going to give faithfully, save systematically, spend strategically. That takes us to the next point here. Oh, by the way, before I move on, let me just say that here's typical of the plan that I've taught through the years, and, I, and my wife and I have practiced this uh, since we've been married uh, for 35 years. And so uh, it's a 10-10-80 plan. You guys familiar with 10-10? How many uh, know what I'm talking about when I say 10-10-80 plan? So, so the first 10% you give to God, the next 10% you give to yourself, and then you live on 80%. It's, it's really wise. In fact, uh, What's the guy's name that does the financial stuff? Dave Ramsey. Okay, Dave Ramsey. Larry Burkett said the same thing when uh, all the books that he's written. So all these different financial guys would say that's kind of how you do it. And then with that 10% you pay yourself, you're saving up three to six months worth of expenses so that if you lose your job, you're not freaking out. You got a few months to give you that margin. That's really wise financial management. By the way, part of that is too, and this is what my wife and I have done, is that part of that what we save up now, we've saved up more now than three to six months. But part of that then, we give faithfully 10%, but that, out of that saving up part is a part of our offerings and alms. So we give 10%, plus we give alms, help the poor, and then the offerings where we uh, not only, in fact, we're going we're to give to this uh, new campaign, uh, the second campaign that we're kicking off here uh, this next year. And, but we give to other ministries that are outside of Desert Breeze also, but that's, what, that's part of that, the, the resources that we're able to draw from to do that. And so, so what does this plan include? Talked about it last week a little bit. Number three, money foolishness is not living according to God's biblical uh, financial principles. And there are five, budget, accounting, self-control, uh, true wealth, and then generosity. So you, so you need to have a budget. Budget is just basically telling your money where it's going to go. It's just establishing what are your priorities, how much money are we going to spend, you know, on insurance and cars and, and various things like that. It's just good, wise uh, counsel. But if you don't have that, if you don't have any kind of a plan like that, then you're not very wise. You're, you're being foolish with your resources. Um, and you need to uh, also have accounting. A lot of times, uh, you know, uh, you might have a budget, but then if you're not keeping good records, you don't know where your money's going, you need to be able to look at your records and see where your money's going and then line it up with your budget. Say, okay, yeah, that's exactly where we're spending. Oop, I spent a little bit too much. I stopped at Circle K or Starbucks or this place and bought this and bought that and uh, kind of went over the budget here, so I'm going to have to take a little money out of here and balance that out. But then you've got to have self-control. The only way you're going to have self-control is you've got to understand what true wealth is. True wealth can only be found in Jesus. And then, of course, generosity. I had somebody in the first service, they were walking up. I went out to my truck, and then they were walking up, and they said, hey, Pastor Ray, you're not going to believe this. Last week, you know that text that we studied there in the sixth chapter of Luke? Man, that was amazing. I read a little bit further on, and it talks about that when we give, I thought this was just kind of a, kind of a secular principle, that when you give, that you're blessed. And, and, but that's a biblical principle, that when you give, you actually get blessed from God. Shaken down, you know, running over. She started kind of quoting that verse a little bit. You guys are familiar with it, I'm sure. And she was just stoked over that. And, and there is blessing in generosity. But now let me warn you here about something. 
I've had a lot of people think that they could give their way out of financial bondage into financial freedom. I had a guy actually say, oh, I've tried all that giving stuff. It doesn't work. God never blessed me. I'm, I'm just as in debt as I ever have been. And, and don't believe all the stuff you hear on, by the televangelist either because I've heard some of them say, hey, you, that card that got you into debt, that will get you out of debt. Use that same card with the same amount of money that you are in debt and God will get you out of debt if you give us that amount of money. It's like, what? You're crazy. Now, you cannot give yourself out of debt if you're violating any of these other biblical principles because this person is giving generously and I would ask him, so do you have a budget? A what? A budget. And do you keep good records? What do you mean by that? You line your records up with your budget and you make sure that that's exactly where your money's being spent. Oh, and do you understand where true wealth is found? I noticed you have that gun collection over there and you keep buying more guns. So <laughs> you got like 1,500 guns. What are you going to do with all those guns? You know, Or whatever it is. I mean, we get these obsessions. Why would somebody have that many guns? Maybe they have a reason for that many guns. Or maybe yours isn't guns. Maybe it's you know, surfboards. I don't know. It could be any number of things. It could be crazy things that we tend to, there's that compulsive, impulsive spending habits. Don't think that you're going to be able to deal with that. If you don't deal with those, you know, all the giving in the world is not going to pull you out of financial bondage. You have to have all of these principles working for you. And here's the next one. This is going to really hurt, okay? I'm going to be very honest with you. Number four. Money foolishness is believing that debt is a lifelong friend rather than a short-term visitor. Um, it says in Proverbs 22.7, the borrower is slave to the lender. Here's the goal. Everybody look up here. Here's the goal. Debt-free. To be debt-free. My wife and I live debt-free. And we've done this for a number of years. And so I'm not telling you anything that we're not already living. I believe in these principles. I'm not bragging. I'm just saying that this, they have greatly benefited us tremendously. And here's some of the counsel that goes along with being debt-free. Uh, and it was easy for me to go debt-free because I'm a tightwad. You know, so I tended to hang on to everything. And my wife, she tended to spend everything, just throw money right out the window right after we got married. She's like, Bleh. Look at this money. Hey, get over here, you know, so. I mean, we kind of went back and forth. It was pretty hard. She was more of a spendthrift. I was more like hanging on to every dime. She helped me to loosen up, and I held her to tighten up a bit, okay? So it created that balance, and it took us a number of years to kind of work through that, and we really certainly benefited each other in that. But here's a couple points. Uh, I've taught this in the past. They're not on your notes, but you can listen to it, download the message online to get these. But don't buy depreciating items on the credit system. That's dumb. You know that 8-track player that you're still paying on? Okay, that's a dumb joke, wasn't it? But uh, because I said something in the earlier service today about a stereo, and they go, what's a stereo? I don't even know. Do they still sell stereos? Says that's what, I'm, I'm an old guy. But, uh, but that's exactly, that's my point. You know, you, that stuff's obsolete. You're still paying on it. You know, they got new TVs out, but I'm still paying on the TV that I've got. What kind of TV do you got? We you know that big old huge box that takes up most of our living room? They got these flat screens now, and the prices have dropped way down. 
I can't afford it because I'm still paying on that. Well, exactly, depreciating item. You're still paying on that. That's ridiculous. Should have paid cash for that stuff. Save up, pay cash. It's just smart. It's just good, good uh, business sense. Don't buy depreciating items on the credit system. Know the difference between plague debt, tool debt. Plague debt, tool debt. Turn to the person next to you and see if they know the difference between plague debt, tool debt. The difference between plague debt, tool debt. Real quick. You guys know the difference between plague debt, tool debt? Here's plague debt. Plague debt is debt that puts undue pressure on you, has a disproportional high interest rate, has no valuable asset to show for it, causes undue pressure, stress in your life. Tool debt would be a home mortgage, that is if you don't buy more than you need, in a home. My wife and I, we drove our stake years ago. We'll talk a little bit about home mortgages in a minute. We drove our stake. We said, we're not going to move beyond this. We built our own house, saved us about $50,000. I was the general contractor in that. Uh, we had had a previous house that was on a 15-year mortgage, and so we only paid eight, uh, eight years on that, but we'd saved up a little bit, so we had some equity, bought some land, built, and then this one was only 15, so in 15 years, we've been living in the house for 22 years. We paid for that after about 14 years, and so that was part of, part of our strategy. We'd sat down and strategize because we knew that we were going to have some kids in college, we were going to be able to pay for their college, stuff like that, so it was just kind of our strategy and our plan but tool debt would be a home mortgage education. Not all education. A lot of our kids are coming out highly educated, but uh, about $100,000 in debt. Uh, you know, you gotta, I would encourage kids to even live at home, stay at home for a while, and uh, don't get into the dorm. And, you know, there's, just, there's a lot of wisdom that needs to come with that. Don't get yourself. But education can be tool debt if it's uh, run appropriately. Expanding your business through buying more equipment. Now, a good example is that this building that we're moving into is actually tool debt. Uh, all of our board of elders agreed, you know, unanimously that, wow, this is too good to be true. Now that the market has dropped down, we're going to buy this kind of warehouse-type building. We're going to build it out. We've never been into monuments. We're, we've always been about ministry, and God's opened the door for us. And, and moving into this, when you crunch the numbers, we will save $10,000 a month in our overhead compared to right now just leasing. We will be owning it and buying it and be able to pay it off at a pretty quick rate if we continue where we're going, which gives us uh, greater synergy and gives us a greater ability for ministry. And that's one of the reasons why we haven't moved into a building. We didn't want to get plague debt. We didn't want to get over our heads. We want to allow God to lead us and guide us through that. We're not into, by the way, we don't beat the sheep around here either to make you to give more so that we can get into the buildings. That's not what it's about. We want you to learn how to give appropriately and for the right reason. And so that's partly why we study uh, these topics like this and we'll kind of work through that. Now, um, let me give you just a little more uh, counsel on this to what, what to look for as it relates to these things. And... Uh, so know the difference between plague debt, tool debt. Every car loan should be shorter than the last until you can pay cash. My wife and I, we paid cash for our last three cars. And that's not hard. That's really easy to do. We don't buy real expensive cars. One of our cars was a, uh, uh, wasn't brand new. The other two were brand new. We don't buy real expensive cars. This is how it works. It's, it's pretty basic math. 
You buy your new car, you're making payments for five, six years. I don't know how, how long payments are anyway, but let's just say for five years. When you're done, you take good care of that car, you go, woohoo, I'm finished with my paying my car off. Now I can't hardly wait. I'm going to go buy me some stuff. No. <laughs> don't do that. That's crazy. Now make payments to yourself, sock it in the bank what you're making that payment for that car. And that car will certainly last another five or six years. So you're doing that for the next five or six years. You've already paid for it for the next five or six years. Now you have the trade, trade-in amount of that car plus that amount that you've saved up. You do that a couple of times. You're paying cash for your cars. By the way, you got cash, you can wheel and deal. I'm serious about it. I bought a truck. I've got it out here in the parking lot. This truck, the blue book, was $22,000. I paid $15,000 for it, cash, because I had the cash. I just like, ooh, I like that truck. Able to get them down. Saved me about six, dollars $7,000. And, uh, and, and I waited a long time. I drove an old clunker for a long time until I found the right car, whatever. Just being wise. Want to honor God with my finances and everything in my life. And, uh, and you can do the same thing. You don't need to go into debt over a car. You may be what you eat, but you aren't what you drive. Okay? You got to get over it and not be all wrapped up in, oh, look at me, I look cool. No, you don't. Okay. <laughs> you look really dumb and you're paying a lot of money for that stupid car just for your identity. Put your identity in Jesus. You don't need a cool car. Okay? Really? If you know Jesus, you don't need all that. You don't need props. Man, he's my everything. I love him. I can drive, I can ride a bicycle. Doesn't matter. Just, uh, so that's part of that. Here's another one. One mortgage loan per customer. Mortgage loan is for a home. Don't get seconds on your house and buy depreciating items. A lot of people did that. That's why this whole market collapsed. Just, it's not very smart. Move as often as you want but pay enough to keep the mortgage the same. Here's what I've seen people do. They buy a home, then they go, hey, we're dissatisfied, we want to find something else. And then they upgrade to another home and start all over. They've already paid about eight years into the 30-year mortgage. Then they start all over, and they do that. You do that about three or four times. I mean, you're hitting 50, and you haven't got anything. And you're still paying 30 years on a mortgage when you could be reducing that down with each move if you're wise and you're smart and you're really paying attention to what you're doing. And then here's the next one. I already said this. The goal is to be debt-free. Imagine, imagine this, if you would, please. Imagine what God's people could do in advancing the, the kingdom of God if we were debt-free. If everybody in this church was debt-free, we could pay cash for the building over there that we're moving into. And it's amazing the ministry that we could do and the lives that could be touched as a result of that. My wife and I live with an amazing freedom because of living a debt-free kind of a life, only paying cash for things, saving up to do those things. We're able to be unbelievably generous with what God has given us. And it is a kick. It is a blast being able to do that. All glory to God. All glory to his name. Those are his principles and we're just living by that. By the way, if you know Jesus... You are living debt-free spiritually. Woo! Praise God! You are debt-free spiritually. There is therefore now no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus. Oh, yeah, but I really screwed up this last week. No condemnation. 
Doesn't that make you want to love him and live for him that much more? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Okay, next part, I'll go fast. Oh, I got one more. Then we'll go to the next part. Number five, believing that money can be my happiness or buy my happiness. We talked a lot about that last week. Here's the wisest, wealthiest guy in the world. You guys remember what he said in, in the book of Ecclesiastes? There was one word that kept coming up over and over again. It depends on the translation, but anybody out there? Meaningless. All that stuff, meaningless. Ecclesiastes chapter 2, 5, and 6, he goes into it in more detail. You can read it on your own. Nothing wrong with having wealth, comfort, success, and acclaim. There's nothing wrong with that. It's making these things your bottom line identity as we talked last week. If you are, your days are numbered. What I mean, meant by that last week is that the economy, if it collapses under you, so goes your identity. Or even if it doesn't collapse under you, you're still doing well, guess what? You're going to die. You're going to stand before God and give an account. Or if, you know, even with all of that, even while you're trying to accumulate all this stuff, Nothing in this world can satisfy the deep longing of your heart. Ecclesiastes 3.11 says, God has put eternity into man's heart. All, all the eternal, you know, that we have an eternal craving, and eternal craving can never be satisfied by temporal things. All the temporal things in this world can never satisfy your eternal craving. We were made to know and enjoy God. That's, that's where we find the true wealth. Okay. Money wisdom. You guys know what wisdom is. We did a series through Proverbs a number, a couple years ago. And um, wisdom is seeing and responding to life from God's perspective. It's competent in life's realities. But there's something that says about wisdom. Now, I want you to turn to the person next to you and see if they know the answer to this. What is the beginning of wisdom? What is the beginning? Of, this is real critical. What is the beginning of wisdom? Real quick, discuss it with the folks sitting around you. Okay, anybody want to yell it out to me? What's the beginning of wisdom? The fear of the Lord. Anybody get the fear of the Lord? You guys get that? Yeah, right on. So the fear of the Lord. Okay, Pastor Ray, what's the fear of the Lord? Here's what it is. Oh, by the way, everybody look up here. You're not even in the game if you don't have the fear of the Lord. That's what he's saying. It's the beginning of wisdom. You want to be wise? It starts with the fear of the Lord. What's the fear of the Lord? The fear of the Lord is a life-altering, joyful awe and wonder of the beauty and the glory of who Jesus is and what he's done for us. See, when you live in the reality of that, it creates this sense of, wow, It's bigger than anything that you face. So his wow, his greatness is bigger than any obstacle, any problem you face. And the, it creates not just this wow, but it creates this, mmm, the goodness of God, it creates this sense of, mmm, it's more attractive than anything that would allure you away from him in this world. So when you're living in the fear of the Lord, that's the beginning of wisdom. That's where you begin. And so here's the, the principles of that is that money wisdom is about being rich toward God. And, and, and what we're looking at here is how to make the best of everything, which is the richness of being. This is what it is. Number one. This will go fast. Here we go. Hang on. All that I have has been given by God. So it has this mindset, all that I have has been given by God. So you want it, what do you want to do? You want to praise God. I don't worship my wealth, comfort, success, and acclaim. I worship God through them. Number two, all that I need is promised by God. 
So all that I have is given by God. All that I need is promised by God, so I learn to trust God. By the way, if you're struggling financially, I've got good news for you. He promised to meet our needs, and and those needs are God's opportunity to develop your faith and for Him to demonstrate His faithfulness in your life. So wonderful. That's great. If you're going through difficulties, man, look to Him. It's opportunity for your faith to grow as you look at the object of your faith, and you're going to see that He is faithful. He will take care of you. Here's the next one. All that I give is rewarded by God. Give to God. So this is what's amazing about what the Bible teaches, and so this would be a wisdom perspective. All that I have is given by God. All that I need is promised by God. All that I do, all that I give is rewarded by God. So he rewards me when I give. And then the next next one is all that I do is accountable to God. So ultimately I'm going to stand before God and give an account, so I live my life for God. And then here's my last, the last point is all that I long for is found in God, be satisfied in God. True wealth. This is the true wealth. The more you see what a treasure you have in Christ, in His goodness and greatness, the more your heart will be so satisfied and secure in Him that no temptation or trial can ever beat you. Let me end with a story. I'm going to invite Pastor Scott Lamelli up here. He's our executive pastor. He's going to share a little bit about something that we're going to pass out to you as you are exiting here today. Maybe you've heard this story before. It's called The Cookie Thief. Whose cookies are they? It's a poem. I think it's based on a true story. I remember reading the story years ago, but it goes like this. A woman was waiting at an airport one night with several long hours before her flight. She hunted for a book in the airport shop, bought a bag of cookies, and found a place to drop. She was engrossed in her book, but happened to see that the man beside her, as bold as could be, grabbed a cookie or two from the bag between, which she tried to ignore to avoid a scene. She read, munched cookies, and watched the clock as the gutsy cookie thief diminished her stock. She was getting more irritated as the minutes ticked by, thinking, if I wasn't so nice, I'd blacken his eye. With each cookie she took, he took one too. When only one was left, she wondered what he'd do. With a smile on his face and a nervous laugh, he took the last cookie and broke it in half. He offered her half as he ate the other She snatched it from him and thought, oh, brother, this guy has some nerve, and he's also rude. Why, he didn't even show any gratitude. She had never known when she had been so galled and sighed with relief when her flight was called. She gathered her belongings and headed for the gate, refusing to look back looked back at the thieving ingrate. She boarded the plane and sank in her seat, then sought her book, which was almost complete. As she reached in her baggage, she gasped with surprise. There was her bag of cookies in front of her eyes. If mine are here, she moaned with despair, then the others were his, and he tried to share. <laughs> Too late to apologize, she realized with grief that she was the rude one 
the ingrate, the thief. That's good, isn't it? Everything I have has been given by God. Whose cookies are they? Everything I have has been given by God. All that I need is promised by God. All that I give is rewarded by God. All that I do is accountable to God. All that I long for, all that I long for can be found in a relationship with Jesus. Scott, going to come up and share a little bit with uh, this campaign, this faith campaign that we're doing. Yes. All right. Well, what I have here is the Dairy to Move 2, Phase 2 campaign packet. If you've been with Desert Breeze since 2006, that you, you know that we started the Dare You to Move campaign back in 2006, and we had a particular goal in mind. We had a financial goal, but we had a, a purpose goal in mind, too. I'll talk about both. The financial goal was $1.5 million. We didn't make that, but uh, God blessed us with about $900,000. Now, the purpose behind phase one of the Dare You to Move campaign was to position us financially to be able to responsibly take on some debt, as Ray's been talking about here, tool debt, um, to uh, purchase a building. And phase two, now that we've been positioned because we trusted God and and went forward and saved our money, uh, we are in that position to buy now. We're at that front door. And, And this packet tells you a lot about that. But most of what's in this packet is not about numbers and buildings and the address and all that stuff. What is in here and what is most important is some encouragement and some words on how we would like you to get with God to see how he would have you participate, what he would have you give. Because that's what's most important. Because here at Desert Breeze, as as Ray has mentioned, we're not about monuments, we're about ministry. This is to increase and impact our ministry. This is the first loan Desert Breeze has ever endeavored but we're doing it in a responsible way. And we're doing it with your gifts. And we appreciate that very much, but we're not gonna spend your gifts irresponsibly. We want God to move in us, so out of that, we move on behalf of him to increase the kingdom. Little flock, right? So that's what it's about. Um, We've never been about monuments. And so... We're going to put this in your hand on the way out the door, and you need to remember as you read through it that it's not about bricks and sticks. It's about people's lives. It's about people's eternities. I told Ray I had the occasion this weekend to, um, I needed to move a desk from one room to another, and uh, I was cleaning out the drawers and going through some papers, and I found this letter that this family wrote to Ray, and the date on it was 1997, and I know this family very intimately. The guy's a workaholic. At that time, he was really stressed out, not very hopeful, uh, real new believer. Uh, His family didn't even know Christ. And um, he wrote in this letter how cool it was to come to Desert Breeze and encounter a place that was like no other church that they'd ever been before. It wasn't some religious place that was putting on and, and had the bar way up here and made you feel guilty all the time. And they praised Ray for his teaching and, and um, that this, this family came to find this place, to find someone, something that they were looking for, and they found it. And Ray uh, was the great teacher, but they said that although his teaching was great, they pointed him, them towards the one that they were looking for, and that was Jesus, and they encountered Christ. 
And they, they, they got to know Christ better. In fact, the whole family knows Christ now. And I know that because that's my family. That's that letter from me back in 1997. And I've had an incredible uh, experience with God. And uh, I used to run restaurants and nightclubs. January 2013, I'll be celebrating 10 years as a pastor here at Desert Breeze. And it's not about me. It's not about me. But my, my girls, they're serving the Lord. My wife is madly in love with, with God, and me too. <laughs> but we didn't come to Desert Breeze because they had some pretty building. It was because they stayed focused on making fully devoted followers of Jesus Christ. And that is what Dare You to Move is about. Dare you to move relationally with one another. Dare you to move relationally with God. Dare you to trust God enough to move financially with what he will tell you to do, not with what we have to say up here by getting you all, you know, fever pissed and some pitched and emotional. (laughs) Fever pissed. (laughs) Whoa. We need Jesus. I need Jesus. Yeah. But it's not okay, about hey, the... Okay, okay, that's Should right. I stop now? Okay. I'm kidding. Are we going to have that one online? <laughs> we'll put it's the first not about online. the emotional thing. <laughs> we could just, you know, forget this book and hand out pledge cards. That would be the easy thing to do. We want God to move in your hearts. And we want to laugh about it. We want to celebrate what God's doing at this church and what he's going to do on into the future. That's daring to move. So as you walk out the door today, there'll be someone at all three exits and uh, grab a book. We didn't print a whole bunch of these, so if you want one, please take one. If you don't want one, think about it a while. Uh, husbands and wives, share one if you would. Uh, and don't lose them because each, every, each and every week in the weeks to come, we're going to go through a little bit of, of this book on what it says and uh, how you should go about using that. Yeah, there's a couple uh, at the very front, the front pages talking about the two series we're going to be doing after the first of the year. It talks to you a little bit about the move and then also the build about how God wants to build our lives, how God, we want God to move in our lives. But also, uh, you're not going to pass this out then? You're no, we're not going to pass out the campaign. This is a pledge card. We're going to okay. give everybody one of those probably around the first week of January because we want to kick it off at a particular time. And we also want you to take the time, please, please, please take the time to get with God and find out how he would have you move. Okay? If you want a pledge card, that's fine. They're at the information table. We're not going to stop you, but... We want it to be a prayerful decision, not an emotional, you know, response to some funny story or a word that I misused. Yes. <laughs> That's right. So uh, you'll also find out a little bit about Desert Breeze. The second page here just talks about how did we get here and where are we going. talks a little bit about phase one and then we look at phase two. Would you stand with us, please? So may we, uh, Desert Breeze... Community Church, may we uh, learn how to not be foolish with our finances, but we would be wise. And may we uh, be able to do that because we are living in the wealth of His presence, the comfort of His love, the success of His power, and the acclaim that we are His children for His glory in Jesus' name. And everyone said, Amen. God bless you.